February. So that means it's Valentine's time. Who's groaning? We call your spouse. Get this sorted out. Happy Valentine's Day. But as we enter into Valentine's time, I just want to share some things with you I think that is really important. You know, as as God has given us the opportunity to live in this this day and age, which I think is, you know, kind of neat, and a lot of opportunities, things we get a chance to get to do. But we're in this time of, the th- of life where you get a chance to talk about Valentine's Day. Me plus you equals love. As I thought about that, there's a temptation inside of our building, and I'm not going to preach my whole message on Valentine's Day, so don't worry. There's a temptation in our world, even though we're church people, even though you're just saying, give me Jesus, there's a temptation to look, me plus you equals love. And that's not true. I realized that when you were in middle school, you walked down the hallway and you saw so-and-so over there and you hoped so-and-so looked at you and then there was this somewhat what we call inward tingling in our stomach saying, maybe they saw me today. And if I could just be with them, then it would be everything would be okay. The truth of the matter is, me plus you or boyfriend and girlfriend, unless you have Christ, it's a train wreck. Unless you have been loved, you can't love. And so this morning as I start off our time together, I want to take you just quickly to a couple of passages of Scripture just so that you and I living in our society remind ourselves what is love, biblically, not what's going on around us. Because we'll get tempted. So 1 John uh, chapter 4, 7 through 10. So take your Bible, go to 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 10. As you think about love, I want you to think about it from these, these verses. And, and there's one more, two more I want to share with you. 1 John chapter 4, pick it up in verse um, 7. Look at verse 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look at First uh, John uh, chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. This morning as you gather together as a family, and as Reggie's already shared with us, it's truth, we are all sinners. But if I don't ever accept Christ's love, how can I love those people that are around me? If I'm not letting Christ do something in my personal life, then how can I let that overflow in somebody else's life? Interesting this morning, if I would ask, pass the microphone around to you and ask you, do you love Jesus? You would probably say yes, because we're in church. If we would ask your friends, do you love Jesus? We might get a different answer. And so this morning, as you enter into February, there's a temptation to say, you know what, love is this. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 
is very clear about what love is. In the midst of Paul talking to a church at Corinth, in chapter 12 he talks about spiritual gifts, in chapter 13 he defines love. It's a challenge this morning as you take the Word of God, not your feelings, not your emotions, but the truth of the Word of God, and define it by these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says to us, love is, what's the first one? Patient. What's the second one? Okay, we won't go too much farther because I don't want to scare you. Okay, love is patient. Love is kind. How can I be patient? How can I be kind? With the help of Jesus living inside of me because that's what he did for me. So you might just want to do a little self-inventory. If you're not very good loving people sacrificially, my question to you this morning is, do you know Jesus personally? If life is all about you, do you know Jesus personally? Because as I read the Word of God, 1 John chapter 4 says, okay, I love because he first loved me. One of the characteristics of a Christian should be our love that we live not just for ourselves, but we live sacrificially for others. If I'm not living my life sacrificially for somebody else, do I know Jesus? And don't play games here, and I'm not trying to scare you. That's not my my goal this morning as we enter into Valentine's Day. Let's scare everybody. No. But I want us to ask biblical truth questions. You can't say you love Jesus unless you act like Jesus. Unless we see demonstration of sacrificial love being poured out of you because you have been loved. Give me Jesus. You sang that. Will we ask for Jesus tomorrow? Will we wake up tomorrow and say, okay, Lord, it's me and you, not anybody else, not about a Valentine, not about this, it's me and you. Lord, would you help me love sacrificially tomorrow? The temptation, because you live in our society, is to not live sacrificially. The temptation is is to live for yourself. The truth about all relationships is that when you get involved in a relationship, you bring two broken people together. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, it will be miserable in your relationship. Men, unless we're saying to Jesus, fix me on the inside, we will not love our spouse well. And ladies, if you're not saying to Jesus, Jesus, I have been loved by you, so help me love whatever you call him other than knucklehead. Help me love that person sacrificially. Over the years of ministry, so far, nobody's ever walked into my office and said, would you please have my husband or spouse stop loving me? I can't take it anymore. They're serving me way too much. I don't enjoy it anymore, so I'm going to change this up. It really should be an opportunity for you to say, Lord, how can I serve? How can I outserve my spouse? What can I do because God has done something in my life? How can I be more patient? How can I be more kind? How can I be gentle? How can I not be easily angered? How can I keep no records of wrong? How can I do those things for you? God, help me do that. That's what I want for my spouse. That's what I want for my relationship. Because if we're honest, that's how he loved you and me. He didn't love you with strings attached. He didn't love you if, well, because you're nice, I'll love you. No, he was willing to die on a cross for you. Before you even knew him, he said, yes to you, I'll die for you. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. So may we be those type of people that demonstrate our love for others sacrificially. 
Now, if you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew Matthew chapter 9. As you look at Matthew chapter 9, you're going to see a couple interesting things. We're going to go through Matthew chapter 9, 14 to 26. The first thing you're going to get a chance to see is Matthew is going to use Jesus. He's going to talk about fasting. And then you're going to get a chance to see two healings in the process. And so this morning, as you have your Bible in front of you, um, we'll take you to Matthew chapter 9. Pick it up in verse 14. It says these words. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk clothes on old garments, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine in new wineskins and are both preserved. So as you have this passage of Scripture in front of you, Jesus is going to be asked the question. The question is going to deal with fasting. What's interesting to me is, is Jesus just doesn't go out, come out right and answer the question. Okay, here's the answer. Jesus gives three word pictures, three illustrations to the individuals that are asking the question. Really what he should have done is just slap them all around because these guys weren't interested in fasting. They were interested in external things. So the guys asked the question, come to Jesus with preconceived lifestyles. Here's something that's interesting, and if you, if you spend some time going back over Matthew, uh, I know we're in chapter 9 now, but if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, the Pharisees who asked the question, why, do we, why does the group that is with you, why aren't they fasting? Well, normally in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, it says, they gave uh, to the needy, and when they would give to the needy, they would blow trumpets so that everyone would see. That's the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, they prayed standing on street corners and in the synagogues. They wanted everybody to see them. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, they would fast with somber faces and they would do things to their faces so they would draw attention to themselves while they're fasting. So as they ask this question, you have individuals that are standing in front of Jesus and say, by the way, why aren't these disciples fasting? They didn't really want the answer. They weren't ready for Jesus to give them three stories to say to them, okay, guys, I know your heart, and I'm going to explain it to you in three word pictures. The first one that he uses, has anybody seen somebody mourning at a wedding other than the the guy paying the bill? It doesn't happen, right? There's not a group of people that are mourning at the wedding. And so Jesus is saying to these guys, asking the question, hey, guys, These disciples will fast one day, but I'm still here. The bride's still there. There will come a time when the disciples will fast. Have you ever seen, um, now this is, I love, this is fun, because you have the, Jesus didn't know about you and I, and he didn't know about our culture, and he didn't know that people would wear clothing that had holes in it, and they would call it jeans. And they would pay good money for jeans that, that, that have holes in them. And then they would patch them. I mean, 
Kids now spend over $100 on a pair of jeans that are ripped. Is that true? We got the college crew over here. Is that true? Are jeans about, you know, we won't ask any specific person. You can just nod your head, yes, is that true? Okay, so I know it's true. And then not only they buy $100 jeans, then they'll go buy patches and so on, and then they think that is cool. I mean, that's just weird to me. So anyway, but Jesus is saying to these, to these Pharisees, yeah, you're asking the question, but I have some things for you. Have you ever seen where we take something that is new and we mix it together with old and we sew the patch together and it sticks on? No, it doesn't work that way. What happens, it makes a bigger wound. It tears a bigger gap. Here's the third picture. Now, I realize, I don't think anybody in here has wineskins at their house and they're fermenting their own drinks, okay? Because the water's bad in Highlands County. Now, I know there are some group in Highlands County that have their own kombucha tea factories going on. So I'm aware of those people. I won't point them out, but I know who they are. And so he says to this group of Pharisees, now they know this stuff, okay? They know what he's saying, but he looks at them with a word picture. He says, hey, guys, are any of you fermenting your drink so you can drink with old wineskin? And literally, they would take a skin and they would sew the legs together, and they would sew the neck together, and then they would pour it in there, and over time, it would ferment so that they could actually have something to drink. And he knew that none of these Pharisees would take an old wineskin that they had already used and pour new wine into it because he knew that it would just burst open and it would waste their wine. It would waste their drink. He knew that. So as he has these guys standing in front of him and they're asking these questions, he's saying to them, guys, you live in a world that I don't live in called religion. You live in a world that you want to recognize you. I don't live in that world. So Jesus is saying to them, Jesus lives in a relationship world. Now think about it. Jesus' world was about humility, about repentance, and about forgiveness. That's why he lived. And so he's saying to them, guys, you can't put these two worlds together. It doesn't mix. Guys, you come from legalism. You're asking me a question, but that's not really what you want from me. You don't want the answer, guys. You don't want the truth. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how long you stand on the street corner, and no matter how long you pray, and no matter what you do with your face, it's not about you. It's not about you guys. So go ahead and do whatever you want to do. But I'm here as a representation of humility and repentance and forgiveness. That's the way he lived his life. And what's fascinating is you're going to get a chance to see two things after this. And it goes from the polar opposite ends of the system. You're going to have this religious ruler, and we're going to start in in Matthew chapter 18, or 9 verse 18. You have this religious ruler, his name is Jairus, so take your Bible and just look at it. So you got the guys asking the questions, and then you got Jesus' response, and then you go to Matthew chapter 9. Look at this. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. So if you go cross-references, to your Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 43, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 uh, to 56. It'll give you some more detail. We found out the religious ruler, the guy in the synagogue, his name is Janarius. He has 
a 12-year-old daughter. Okay, so this guy comes to Jesus and he falls on his face before Jesus because his little girl's not going to make it. And he knows it. And so you've got to ask yourself this question. What did it cost this Jarius guy to actually fall on his face before Jesus? Because all of his buddies were probably religious people. All of his buddies were in the synagogue. I don't know how there's different variations of people think how high up Jarius was in the synagogue. Some people believe he was actually the elder of the synagogue. I don't know if I would go that far to say that. We don't really have to you know, split hairs over that. I'm not going to take a you know, bullet for, yes, he was the elder of the synagogue. Okay, I'm not going to do that. If you're new to Bible Fellowship or church, I have a bullet theology concept. There are things that I will take a bullet for. This is not one of them. What I know is a guy from the synagogue comes to who? To the guys that were fasting, the Pharisees? Did he come to them? Did he come to John's people? No. The guy from the synagogue is coming to Jesus. Why? Because he's in desperate need of a Savior. He needs somebody to step into his circumstance and say, yeah, I have the power to help your daughter. And it didn't matter what it cost him. And it didn't matter who was there. Jerry's is coming right to the feet of Jesus saying, hey, I'm here. I need you. If you don't do something, my daughter is gone. So if you look at Matthew chapter 9, you see these words. My daughter has died, but come and put your hand on her, and then she will live. Jesus got up, went with him, and so the disciples stopped changes. Matthew changes where we're going to go. We're going to be, now be interest, introduced to a woman. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. Then your faith has healed you. For 12 years, this woman had been seeking medical advice, procedure after procedure. And now she's to a point in her life that, that she says, you know what? If I can just get to Jesus, total opposite end of the spectrum the synagogue guy, the church guy, the one that knew Old Testament truth, now is involved in a circumstance where if Jesus doesn't step in, his 12-year-old daughter's gone. Don't see the Pharisees around. Don't see him asking questions. Hey, what's wrong with Jairus' daughter? From the other end of the spectrum, a woman who basically has been outcast and banished because she has issues, medical issues, that can't be repaired. And all this lady's saying, hey, if I just get to his garments, and if you read the other accounts of it in the gospel, there's people all around Jesus. You just can't walk up to him and say, hello, Jesus, I want to meet you today. So she had to work her way through the crowd. She got to the, her way through the crowd. She got to the hem of his garments, and she said, if I just touch it, she touched it, and instantaneously she was healed. But do you know what I find interesting about this passage? Yeah, it's cool that Jesus healed her. But I think there's this little thing underneath that we don't, we kind of read and we haven't really thought about. 
the most important part wasn't for her to be healed physically. It's that Matthew wants us to know that our sins are forgiven. When you read these words from Matthew, and if you go around and look in other parts of the gospel, you read these words. Your faith has healed you. You have forgiveness of your sins. You're set free. Penalties paid. Can you imagine? And and the other gospels give you some more accounts, and I can't go into all that today because we'll miss lunch, but the other gospels actually have Jesus pausing, confronting this lady, and looking her in the eye and saying, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what we get so excited about? We get excited about faith. Oh, yeah, your faith will make you well. You know what our faith should do? No matter what our circumstances is, our faith should take us to the feet of Jesus. He's the only one that can help us. Let him take care of the outcomes, but we have to get to Jesus no matter what the circumstances are. So here you've got Jesus with the Pharisees. They're asking a question. By the way, why aren't your disciples... Why aren't they fasting? Oh, I'll tell you why. Here's three little word pictures. But by the way, in the midst of these word pictures, in the midst of your questions, I want to show you this woman, and I want to show you this man. The man you know about, the woman you rejected. You don't like this woman because you're a synagogue person. You don't have a relationship with her. You're not reaching out to her. You're not ministering to her. But I'll minister to her because I'm Jesus. And I want her to be made whole, and I want her to be free, and I want to have forgiveness of her sin. Your sins are forgiven. Faith has made you well. Now, go back to, the, back to your Bible. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the, 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 the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. You ever wonder why Jesus just didn't kill the people that laughed at him? I mean, there's not one of them in this room that like to be laughed at. And he's walking into a house. Instead of those people saying, yeah, you're Jesus, so we're so excited that you're here. We can't wait to see what you're going to do. And when he says to them, oh, she's not dead, she's asleep, they laughed at him. But that didn't affect Jesus. He went over to that little girl, reached down and touched her hand. She came alive again. Now, I know you and I don't think it like this, but it's kind of a bummer that this girl has to come back and live. Because eventually she's going to die anyway. So Jesus brings her back to life, and yes, it's kind of exciting, but you know what? Earth is kind of in a neat place, and seeming Florida is kind of a cool place, but this is the worst that it's ever going to be for us, living on this earth. This is the worst. But most of us don't live like that. We live like everything is right here and right now. And if we don't make it now, it's like, it's like, oh, man, I got to go to heaven. Can't wait till I be able to have the opportunity to hear the voice of God for eternity. Can't wait for the opportunity to see this new Jerusalem. I can't wait just to be able to know that there's my God and there's Jesus. And there's Matthew and Mark and Paul and Peter. There's all of our family that's went on before us. But just so you don't miss, miss this, I want you to see something. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her, the girl by the hand, and she got up. News 
of this spread through all that region. I've been thinking about those last words. News of this spread through all that region. I wonder what spread. Was it that the dead girl became back to life? Was it that the woman that nobody wanted and it was an outcast had been made whole again and her sins had been forgiven? Was it the ones, the Pharisees, that were kind of mocked by Jesus, not really punching them in the nose per se, but he gave these three word pictures, and now the Pharisees are standing there thinking, he didn't answer our question. wonder what spread. And, and I don't know. I can't answer that question. But what I find myself this morning as I stand here, after sitting with the word of God, I've been reminded that we've been called to love people. Now, that's just our Valentine's little speech, okay? But if you say to me that you have forgiveness of your sin, then you need to be an individual that loves sacrificially. I told this to the first hour. It's interesting to me that as people get older, they get meaner. And it's interesting to me that people that have been around the church aren't always people that just pour out grace. They become pretty opinionated. And it's interesting to me that people that have been married longer than I have been married, they don't seem like they like each other. I mean, it's kind of like they just, they're there, but they, it's like, you know, well, I've been here, I'm not making any adjustments now. And so I'm not going anywhere now. But it's not like they're serving each other sacrificially. And I, and, I, and, I, and I struggle with this concept because if I give you the microphone, you'd tell, you'd tell me that you love Jesus. But if I look at your spouse, they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. Yeah, I'm married to this one. This is great. The best thing ever happened to me, baby. Woof. And part of it just breaks my heart because I think, you know what? We say that we love Jesus, but we can't even serve the person that's closest to us. That they're not a priority of who we are. So maybe you are here this morning and you're having trouble loving people. You know what I say to you? Fall on your face before the cross and accept Jesus' love for you. He sacrificially gave his life. And then I would ask us some really kind of gut-wrenching questions. How are we known in the community? Are we known that we'll serve whoever? Are we known that we're individuals that we'll just, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter if we're Jarius or no matter if we're that woman and, and God's given her this circumstance for 12 years, no matter what it is, that we're still people that will run to Jesus and fall on our face before him and say, okay, here I am, Father. When was the last time that you sat, and we can go back to John 15, 26 if you want to. When was the last time that we sat with the Holy Spirit and said, okay, Holy Spirit, you're the Spirit of truth, so I need to ask you some things. What is something that you want to change in my life? 
I know it's easy to sing, give me Jesus. That's easy. And that's comfortable. But if we're just here singing, give me Jesus, the last part of Matthew chapter 9, verse 26, news of this spread throughout all the region. What's going to spread? Are they going to, is it going to spread that, yeah, we, we're good at coming to church and saying, yeah, give me Jesus. But then when we step out of church, we're no different. Or will it spread that we're people that have met with Jesus? And I appreciate, Reggie, you praying broken people. Because that's the facts. And I know you don't like to think about it that way. None of us really like to celebrate our failures. We don't high-five each other and say, yeah, we really messed this up good. Ooh, we're special. But until we get down to the bottom and on our face before him, life is just going to be about you. You have a choice this morning as you look at Matthew chapter 9. Your life can be a show like the Pharisees. Yes, look at me. Yeah, we stand on the street corner. We blow the trumpet so everybody knows that we gave money. Or our lives can be like the woman and Jerry's. That we have a relentless pursuit of our Savior, no matter what our circumstances. No matter how broken we are, there's just something we're going to go back to this thing saying, okay, look, I'm confused today, I'm broken today, but I'm coming back to you, Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning, but my heart for you is that there will be a relentless passion towards the cross, that broken people will be made whole over and over and over again. And I believe, I believe it starts with us guys. Us men saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Because I know what's going to happen. If I say to you, I want you to go home this afternoon and ask, ask your spouse what's one area in your life that you could change, you're not going to do that. Because they're probably going to tell you and you're not going to like it. And then you're going to be mad at them for two or three days because they were actually honest with you. So don't ask your spouse. or you're married to somebody that's really sweet and they're not going to let you have it. They're not going to tell you the truth. They'll just give you this little roundabout little answer and then you go on with your life. So I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to ask you to go down and sit with the Word of God in John chapter 15, verse 26 and say, Holy Spirit, where is it? Let's go. Let's start here. I want to give you permission to start here in my life. You're the Spirit of truth, so help me here because the goal and the passion of our soul is that people around us would know our Savior. And if we're honest, sometimes when people look at us, they're like, I don't think I really want that person to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. And Holy Spirit, you know what you need to do in hearts and lives. So, Father, as we walk away from here, yeah, we've done our little to-do thing on Sunday morning. We came to church because that's what we do. We sang some nice songs because that's what we do. But are you going to leave asking, give me Jesus? Are you going to leave 
asking the Holy Spirit to say, okay, what's the truth? Are you going to walk out of here like the Pharisees and say, yep, it's about me? And that's a choice. You can do that, but just know, the longer you keep walking out of this building and life is about you, the people around you suffer. Just know that. Or are you going to walk out of here saying, okay, all right, I'm coming back to you. Falling on my face before you. The Holy Spirit, do what you need to do in our family. Jesus, thank you for being willing to walk on this earth and be a biblical example for our life. So now help us, Father, to act like our son, your son. Holy Spirit, empower us to live self-sacrificing lives in a community that typically lives for itself. We love you, Jesus. Your name I pray.